Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, in my home, ready to share his story, is my friend Dan Newman. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you. Um, I'll just give a little intro and then get Dan talking. Dan is 36. He identifies as gay. He lives in Roy, Utah, which is about 40 miles north of Salt Lake City, roughly. And he is a pediatrician doing wonderful work as a doc to help people. He grew up in Illinois, served a mission in Russia, um, undergrad at BYU, then back to Chicago for med school and residency. And that's a long road. Um, grateful you're on the other side of that, Dan. Um, uh, married to a, a wonderful woman for 10 years and has two girls and is no longer active in the church, at least for the last couple of years. And as I've looked through Dan's outline, I'm just moved with um, his willingness to share a story. This is out of love to help, especially younger, closeted, queer, Latter-day Saint kids. Maybe the type of story Dan wish he had heard um, at age 16, 26, and just his journey to be authentic and to own who he is and to be able to move forward in his life. And we said a prayer, and we just hope this will be helpful for you if you're a queer Latter-day Saint or if you're an ally or a local leader that with an open heart, the things Dan shares with you gives insights in how to better support um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Is that okay for an introduction, Dan? Sounds great. Thank you so much, Richard. I got the number of kids right and where you went to residency <laughs> and we're okay on all that. That's right. That's right. All right. You're on. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with, um, you know, the, one of the main reasons that I'm on here. Um, is I've learned a lot and I've experienced a lot and, you know, I wish I would have had similar, um, support and, um, and people to look up to role models, um, you know, back when I was younger and that age. And so I hope that my story, me sharing my story can be helpful to, to other people. Um, also just, you know, there's, when we feel like we have to hide different parts of ourselves, there's shame that builds up there. And I don't think it's probably possible to, to get rid of that shame without, without being more open and authentic. Um, and then, um, yeah, so those are, those are some of the reasons why, uh, why I'm on here today. Um, so I grew up in Illinois in a city called Elgin. Um, I'm the third of four children. Uh, we were very active in the church. Um, I had very loving parents. When I think back on my childhood, I, you know, I remember playing ball with my dad outside and, um, and, you know, my mom, she always brought a lot of happiness in the house, um, household. She loved singing. Um, and she grew up on a ranch in Montana. And so they were usually, um, like old Western songs and stuff that she would sing. But, um, yeah. And I just remember, um, like as a young child, I was, I was very happy. Um, you know, people told me that, that I'm always, always was smiling and everything. And so, um, I, I am really thankful for the, the family that I have and, um, for the love that I felt early on. I, um, I knew that I was, um, attracted to, to boys probably in my mid elementary years. Um, 
And it was, you know, something that I, like many people, I, I kept hidden. Um, I didn't dare tell anybody. Um, but I also expected that it would go away. Um, kind of raised to believe that that being gay was a choice and, um, that, you know, if I can choose what I, what I want to do as far as being obedient and, and, um, I guess I just always had that assumption that it would, it would go away over time. Um, I, I tried to work really hard. Um, I tried to be a good student, um, tried to be, um, faithful in church. Um, I would attend early morning seminary, um, memorize the scripture masteries and everything. Um, I started working at a restaurant at the age of 14 and just kept myself pretty busy. I was o- always an overachiever. Um, and so, you know, I, I really tried to, to do the best that I could with being obedient, um, to follow the expectations that, that I felt I had. And, um, you know, at that time I, I wouldn't have considered myself gay or anything like that. Um, this was just something that was temporary and and that I was working to overcome. I did struggle a lot in my teen years, especially with depression. Um, you know, on the surface, I appeared to be really responsible and obedient and thriving, but deep down I was, I was really struggling. Um, I was struggling with porn, um, through much of my teen years. Um, so I had a lot of shame, uh, about that. Um, I did have, um, you know, thoughts of, of suicide and things like that as well. Um, and honestly, like if you talk to people back then, they probably would have had no idea. Um, I was very good at, at on the surface, you know, giving a, a good presentation and, and, appearing like I was doing well when, when really I, I was just really struggling. Um, I had a lot of hatred towards myself as well as towards God. I felt like I could never measure up to his expectations and his standards. Um, and so that was very difficult. And then I also just, I always felt like God wasn't pleased with me. Um, with when I felt depressed, I, you know, I didn't really know what depression was. I, um, there was nothing I'd been diagnosed with, you know, back then. I just thought that God was mad at me and that I wasn't good enough. Um, and then, yeah, every time I, I, you know, saw a boy who was cute or, you know, had a crush, it, it just kind of reminded me of my unworthiness. And, um, yeah, I just felt a huge void inside of me. So with, with my sexual orientation, as well as with a mental illness, um, it always just seemed like a cure was, was right around the corner. Um, I really believed, um, like when I was preparing to go to the temple for the first time, I, I believe that, that, you know, through the washing and anointings that, that I would come out clean and, um, not have the, the same sex attraction. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of disappointment when, when I, um, left the temple still feeling kind of the same way. Um, and again, like all that, all that disappointment and everything I, I internalized, I, I felt like it was just, uh, you know, my own fault and, 
um, I'm not being righteous enough or obedient enough. And so shortly after that came the time for me to serve a mission. Um, I'd always planned on serving a mission and, and similar to going to the temple, my expectation was I work real hard and God will bless me with, um, not having the, the same attractions and everything. Um, and so I served in Yekaterinburg, Russia. Um, and you know, at that time I didn't know about depression. I didn't really recognize that I had depression, um, other than I knew that I felt depressed, but I didn't know like what, what, uh, clinical depression was. And so being in a, in a cold place with dark winters, you know, there's, um, you know, a few hours of sunlight each day in the winter. Um, it was, it was really hard. And then just, um, you know, the cities where I would serve they're they're distanced, you know, they're, they're pretty far apart from each other and, um, you know, far from the mission president and everything. And at that time, like I, um, I still kind of kept that, that good face. Um, you know, again, probably people wouldn't have noticed that I was really struggling. Um, and, and, you know, kind of that, that same pattern I had in my teenage years, I, um, I, I felt like I wasn't working hard enough that I was, um, you know, not diligent or obedient enough. Um, I know, uh, I feel like most people who talk about it on the podcast, they've said like their mission was great. They didn't have to think about, you know, their, their sexual orientation or things like that. Um, but it was something, you know, I, I did, um, I did have attractions towards, towards people there. And, um, yeah, like each time I felt that way, I, I just felt, felt bad about myself and, and, um, yeah, I, I wrote, um, I, I'll read just a little, a little bit from my, my mission journal. So, um, at one point I said, yesterday night, I felt so depressed. I felt like the Lord was mad at me for us not working as hard as we should. I feel as if we are wasting the Lord's time. I was crying when I prayed last night and asked the Lord if he really cared about me and why I didn't feel his help or comfort. And so, um, wow. yeah, yeah. It, you know, looking back at it now and, and I was talking with a friend recently who said, you know, he's like, you were a missionary for the, you know, for the Lord, you were giving up two years of your time. Like, how could he not be proud of you? But, but honestly, like, you know, it, I, I just, um, even though looking back now, I, you know, I, I don't think I could have worked harder on my mission. Um, but I, I just never felt peace. I never felt like I was acceptable to God. So, um, and then, um, yeah, I remember in particular, um, so it's either in the MTC or, um, or shortly after getting to Russia, um, in chapter six of preach my gospel, there's the Christ-like attributes kind of questionnaire or inventory, um, that I'd filled out. And, um, so at the end of my mission, I had filled it out and kind of compared it to when I had left. Mm. Um, and I was really disappointed because it was almost the exact same answers <laughs> with everything. And, you know, I'm like, I haven't grown. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't changed. I haven't, um, you know, obviously my, my, um, 
sexual orientation hadn't changed at all too. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty, pretty tough for me. Um, yeah, with like, since my mission, I've, um, I'd always wanted to, um, make like a, like a, a book, um, of like pictures and stories and different things from the mission. Um, but as I would like go to my journal and stuff and remember different experiences, I just never felt like I could, you know, write a story and, and have it be all positive and stuff <laughs> because yeah, it was, you know, I have struggled a lot. And so, um, I kind of gave up on that goal <laughs> of, of making the photo book, but, um, so yeah, after my mission, I, um, I went to BYU to study, um, I, I did study, uh, Russian a little bit there, um, and even lived a year in the foreign, foreign language student housing. Um, my major was physiology and developmental biology. Um, so kind of later in high school, I knew that I wanted to become a doctor. And so, um, that was kind of my pre-med, um, major. Um, I continue to be very active in the church, continue to attend the temple regularly. Um, even when I lived about a mile and a half away, I would, you know, walk, you know, and, and try to attend every week, try to stay close to God. I, ex- I expected like, you know, my plan was to marry a woman. And, and so, um, you know, I had always thought, okay, the, I'll, it'll be easy to know who I should marry because it will be the only woman I'm attracted to. <laughs> um, and that was kind of my, my thoughts there, but yeah, marrying a woman was, um, was in my patriarchal blessing. And so I felt kind of the need to fulfill the blessing, you know, instead of seeing it as, as a blessing and, and things that will bring me joy, it was more, okay, here's, here's another list of things I need to do in order to qualify for the celestial kingdom. And so I did date quite a bit. Um, I did have, um, two, two more serious girlfriends. Um, as you know, by this time I was recognizing that the same sex attraction wouldn't go away. Um, it probably wouldn't go away. And so, um, I, I planned on being open about that, um, you know, before I get engaged or married. Um, and so with both of those girls, um, after we had been dating for a little bit, I, I, you know, talked about that and we tried to work through it and, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it was difficult and, and those relationships, uh, they didn't last. Um, but as part of that, I, I started working with, um, at the counseling center, um, at BYU working with a therapist and, um, yeah, I, I was a very black and white thinker at that time. Um, I remember the person I was working with, he was saying, um, you know, cause I told him like, you know, my patriarchal blessing, it tells me that I'm going to marry a woman and stuff. And I remember him asking like, so what if you get to like 30 years old or what if you get to 40 years old and you're still not married? And to me, it was just like, what are you talking about? Like, it, mm. you know, it, it's going to happen. Like, you know, I was just very, very black and white thinking. Um, and then, yeah, I, um, I feel like overall, um, with the therapy, like there wasn't any conversion therapy or anything that I experienced luckily. Um, 
but there was kind of that expectation that my attraction would change over time. You know, he would start each visit with asking, okay, on a scale of zero to six, you know, mm-hmm. a Kinsey scale, like, where are you at? And, and so I felt kind of pressure to be like, oh, now I'm, now I'm only a four or something, you know? Interesting. So, yeah. Um, now the last year, um, at, at BYU, so this would have been 2010 or 2011. Um, I, I attended a, a lecture that was given by, uh, Bill Bradshaw. Um, and it was called the origins of homosexuality. And, you know, I remember seeing it advertised for and, and, um, you know, a little nervous to go. I didn't want to see anybody who I knew or have anybody, you know, think maybe I was gay, but, um, I, I went there and it was in the evening. It was in one of the, the big lecture halls and it was, it was pretty much packed with people. Um, and, um, yeah, I did see some people that I knew. And, and back then my thought was like, oh, I hope they don't think that I'm gay, but you know, I never considered, oh, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're dealing with that too. But, um, but, you know, as he talked and, and, um, yeah, he, you know, he talked about a lot of evidence that, that shows that sexual orientation is related to our genetics and, and epigenetic influences and things. And that was the first time that I, that I heard like from somebody who, who's an active church member, that it's okay to believe that being gay wasn't a choice. Um, you know, I, I can't believe I made it all the way to that age, you know, thinking, um, you know, thinking it's not okay to, to believe that, but, um, yeah, so that was, that was really eye-opening and, um, and helpful for me. Um, so during this time, um, I struggled a lot with my relationship with God. Um, I deeply desired to have a relationship with God. I wanted to do the right things. I wanted to feel close to him. Um, but I just, I, I didn't feel, feel that closeness. And looking back, I think there's several things that, that explains that. I think one of them was, was there just so much shame as to who I was. Um, you know, if I hate who I am, how could, how could God love who I am? Um, and so I think that's, yeah, like, like I just, I wasn't able to believe that somebody else who truly knew me was able to love me. I also saw God as, as a transactional God. You know, if I'm obedient, um, then in exchange, you know, my orientation will be fixed or, um, you know, I'll receive specific blessings if I, if I do these specific things. Um, I, I did see, like, I felt like the, the standards and the things I was being asked to were just too, too high, too hard for me to, to be able to do. Um, honestly, I didn't have any hope in being happy in this life. Um, I felt like my options were marry a woman and be miserable in this life, but possibly happy in the next life or, you know, pursue um, same-sex relationships and maybe have fleeting joy in this life, but then damnation in the next life. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what I felt like the options were. And so again, how can you love someone who's, who's asking you to do, (laughs) to do those things? Um, you know, and, and all of this relates to my eternal salvation. There was so much fear there, um, just uncertainty and everything. 
as I've um, as I've come to learn more about attachment as well, um, it's kind of helped make sense of of why you know I had that relationship with God. Um, so for kids, we um, you know if they have loving caregivers who are re- responsive to their needs and things, um, they can they can develop a secure attachment. Um, if their caregivers are, you know, not there, um, if, if they're more neglectful, if they're, um, you know, if there's just a lot of hostility or, um, or anxiety or things like that in the household, it definitely affects how the child connects to people and learns to connect to people. Um, and one of the, one of the worst, like insecure attachment styles is kind of the disorganized one where, um, you know, the, the child expresses a need and sometimes the parent reacts in a loving way and other times, you know, reacts in a harsh or, um, yeah, neglectful way. And so, you know, for me, I, I did have, you know, periods of time where I felt, um, where I felt peace or I felt closeness to God, um, times where I felt like prayers were answered, but then other times where it was the opposite. And so, um, you know, that was just so hard for me to, um, to understand like, like who God is and, and not see God as, as punitive, um, not see myself as never good enough. Um, now one of the things that I struggled with a lot, um, was, was with my temple service. So I, um, yeah, I, I would try to go very regularly to the temple. Um, and, but I, I realized that a lot of times when I would leave there, I'd leave worse, feeling worse than when I entered. Um, and it was, it was very confusing to me because, you know, you have people bear their testimonies about how, how peaceful the temple is and how good of an experience it is. And, um, you know, knowing that that's, people say it's like the closest place to heaven on earth. Um, but for me, like, I didn't feel good, you know, when I was there. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, again, like put that on myself thinking, okay, I must not be worthy enough. I must not have prepared well enough. You know, I haven't come with, um, with a, a goal or a purpose or something that I'm trying to learn. Um, again, thinking that God is displeased with me. I had heard, um, in the past people talk about how, um, like Satan can enter the temple, you know, Satan and the devils kind of stop at, at the temple doors. Um, and so when I did, when I was in the temple and I had, you know, inappropriate thoughts or or saw someone who I thought was attractive, um, you know, I, I wasn't able to say like, I'm a good person and Satan is tempting me, but rather, you know, this is just me. I'm just, I'm just a bad person. Um, and, and then also just, um, yeah, like the promises that we make in the temple, we know, um, you know, we know that, that the, the promises, um, are, um, I guess God is very stern in that we, we keep covenants that we make with him. Um, and so, you know, as time went on, 
I'm like, you know, I made these promises as a 19 year old, you know, guy. And now years later, I'm like, you know, regretting with some of the promises, you know, I'm like, um, I don't know. So, so that was hard to, you know, just remind myself every time, okay, I promise to do this and that. And, um, otherwise, yeah, there's, there's a very harsh pun punishment and stuff. And so, um, yeah, it, you know, it took me, it took me years to kind of figure out that like that, that pattern was, was even happening. Um, and, and to recognize that, okay, maybe this is, maybe this is anxiety. Um, maybe I've just associated these things, um, in my brain and, and it's just my natural response that I feel anxious during, during these times. Um, despite that, I, I kept attending very frequently. I, I was pretty involved with family history work as well and, um, doing a lot of things there too. Um, so after, um, after college moved, uh, back to Chicago where I did medical school. Um, I was active in the singles branch. Um, and again, I, I was, um, trying to date and, and, um, you know, I still had the goal of, of marrying, marrying a woman. Um, so I met, um, Anna and, and we started dating. Um, this was, um, probably early in the, the second year of med school, but, um, I told her about my same sex attraction about a month into dating. Um, and yeah, she, um, I don't know, like for me, when conflict would come up or when issues would come up, um, it was easier to kind of back away and say, okay, like, you know, maybe this just isn't going to work. Um, but I really respect her for, you know, she took that news and was like, okay, like, let's, let's see where this goes. Let's, let's see what we can do. Um, you know, at that time we, uh, it, well, I guess with, with dating, it did give us, it gave us an opportunity to talk about things that a lot of, you know, dating or engaged couples want to talk about, um, different expectations and things. And, um, as far as like being intimate, um, like we just didn't know what would happen. And so I feel like there's pretty low expectation there with, you know, maybe we would just, um, you know, be celibate, um, uh, have a celibate marriage or, or whatever. But, um, about that time when we were dating, I, I also, um, came out to, came out to my parents as well. Um, so I had imagined that, that I would just never tell like my parents or, or really anybody else. Um, I imagine being in the next life and, and, you know, seeing them and being like, Hey, let me tell you about an experience I had that I had to overcome and stuff. And, you know, it seemed like it was, it would be a lot easier to, to wait until everything was resolved and, and I've overcome it before I, you know, talk to them about it. Um, over time though, I felt like, I felt like not sharing my experiences and struggles was selfish. Um, I wasn't giving them the chance to, to learn or grow or understand it. Um, and so, yeah, I felt prompted to come out to my dad. Um, and he handled it better than I would have expected. Um, and maybe my expectations were pretty low of that too, but 
um, yeah, he, he was loving and, and we had talked for a bit. Um, and he offered to tell my mom, which I was really excited about. Cause I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of work to come out to someone and, and, um, yeah, it was, it was, I took him up on that offer. So, um, and so Anna and I, Anna and I had dated for about six months. Um, and then we were engaged for about another six months, uh, before we got married. Um, and so during that time we were able to work with, um, we worked with our, our, uh, stake presidents and, um, yeah, really just tried working on preparing for marriage, um, which I feel like was really helpful. Um, and then also, um, so it was about my last year of med school is when I finally, um, got, got mental health help as well. Um, you know, before then I had never, I had never talked to anyone about it cause it was just something I wanted to overcome. And, and, um, you know, I finally got to the point where I realized that, you know, I, I need help. Um, I'm miserable. I'm, I'm, you know, feeling sad all the time. Um, and so I was able to, um, to start meeting with a counselor as well as a psychiatrist and, um, um, have, yeah, that's, that was really helpful and, and, um, has been really helpful, uh, since then as I continue to work with, with people to help with my mental health. But, um, um, so after, um, you know, we got married, we, uh, finished up med school. Um, and then, um, I did a pediatrics, um, residency. Um, I got accepted to a program on the South side of Chicago. Um, and it was, it was a pretty intense program, long hours. Um, you know, I, I do, um, work during the day, during the week and then on the weekend switch to nights and then switch back. And, um, yeah, there, Anna at the time was working and, um, there would be, you know, if I was on, on nights for the week, I would, I would have to leave for work shortly before she came home from work. (laughs) And then she would leave for work shortly before I came back. So we would go like, a little while without seeing each other, even though like, you know, the bed is still warm from the other person. And, um, so that was, that was a bit challenging. Um, we were both very active in the church. Um, I served as the organist. Um, I also served as a young men's president for a time. Um, and Anna was in the young woman's presidency actually. And so, um, yeah, it was very demanding. Um, you know, having to teach most Sundays, um, having to help with the like Tuesday activities and scouts and stuff. Um, and honestly, we look back at, at those years and, and we have no idea like how we got through. <laughs> um, but looking back, I mean, we, we really do have fond memories of the people that we worked with there. Um, and, and just that experience in general, I think it was, um, it was, it was really good. So um, we, we had our, uh, first child, um, in, it was, um, about the middle of, of my second year of residency. Um, 
And so again, that added new stresses and responsibilities and, and, and things. Um, and then I also, you know, I continue to, to struggle with, with my relationship with God, um, with understanding kind of the negative reaction I was having with the temple, um, as well as just my testimony. Um, and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't bothered by like church history or things, um, you know, that, that sometimes bother other people, but it was, it, it was just, um, yeah, I think the temple was a big thing is like, why can't I find peace here? Um, you know, this is the Lord's house. Um, and, you know, because of how busy I was and, and the callings that I had, I didn't really feel like I was able to, to address a lot of those things. Um, and so for the most part, I, I, you know, kept it, you know, and, and kind of worked on it on my own, um, while, while still being active and, and attending and everything. Um, about, I guess it was shortly before, before we had our, um, our baby, um, my parents actually moved from Illinois to Utah. And so Anna is also from Utah. And so, um, as we were getting closer to, to finishing residency and looking for a job, um, we, we planned, you know, pretty much planned, okay, we're going to go to Utah because we wanted to be close to family. Um, and so, um, we were able to find a job. Um, I've been with, um, with the company for about five years and I've really loved it. Um, you know, I, I love what I do. I love, um, being able to make an impact in other people's lives. Um, and I do, um, yeah, I mean, I work with, with teenagers and, and others who, who struggle with, um, sexual orientation or, um, gender identity or things like that. And I do feel like my experiences give me a lot of compassion. Um, I, I really try to try to help them. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I tell them occasionally like, Hey, I wish, you know, I'm, I'm happier here. I'm happier trying to get this help. I, I really wish I would have gotten help a lot sooner than I did. Um, you know, I do feel like it would have made a difference kind of with, with where I'm at and how I'm doing currently and everything. So, so with, um, with kind of working on my testimony and faith, um, I would go through these periods of times where, you know, I would say, okay, I want, I want more light and knowledge. I want, um, you know, a stronger testimony. And so I would work really hard. I would, you know, be very diligent about studying my scriptures and praying and going to the temple. Um, and eventually I would just kind of get burned out and, and not really get anywhere with, with like strengthening my faith or testimony. Um, and, um, at those times I would, um, I would again think, okay, God must be mad at me. Um, you know, he, he's given me, enough knowledge and, and he's probably mad that I'm just, you know, seeking signs or trying to get more, more of a testimony, um, instead of just being faithful to what he's already given to me. Um, when I, so I, I had, I guess since, since I was at BYU, I had talked to like church leaders about, about my experiences in the temple and, and just trying to find, um, find answers. Okay. What can I do to, to have better experiences? And, 
um, yeah, like I, I really wasn't able to get me or to get, to get much with that. Um, you know, and, and understandably, like if a person, you know, is attending the temple and, and they're finding peace and everything, then, then it's probably hard to know, like, okay, why isn't that person, you know? And, um, you know, my natural response is to kind of put that on myself and say, okay, I'm probably not doing the right things. And I imagine it's probably similar with them, but, um, meaning that they, they probably assume, okay, like, let's, let's see what in the checklist we're not doing or what we can do better with. Um, I, I had a couple also tell me that I probably just had too high of expectations. Um, and yeah, I, I really didn't like that. Cause it's like, you know, excuse me for hoping to find peace in the house of the Lord. Like, you know, um, so, you know, and I thought like, um, like, am I going to be happy in heaven if I can't be happy in the temple? Um, that was one of my fears too, is, you know, why am I working so hard to get to the celestial kingdom? If, if I, I don't even, you know, enjoy being in the, the celestial room of the temple, you know, um, in, um, so when we had moved to Utah, I'd, I had talked to a church leader, um, about some of these, these thoughts and, and also about the possibility of, of just taking a break from church. Um, and he couldn't really understand like why, why I was even asking that he's, he's asking like, do you want to, do you just want more time on Sundays to like go biking or hiking and stuff? And it's like, no, not at all. Like, you know, I'll spend those three hours or two hours, um, you know, at home studying the scriptures. I just, you know, was, was really having a hard time coming closer to God. Um, so, um, shortly after, after starting to work with him, um, our, our stake, um, ward boundaries kind of changed. And so I actually ended up being in a different, different ward. Um, and then the new bishop of that ward asked me to, um, to serve as, as the ward clerk. Um, and so, you know, again, I felt like, I felt like I was needed. I felt like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't like, um, like experiment with not going to church and stuff. Um, but it, it was really an awesome calling. Um, you know, I, I love the association with the bishop and, and the counselors and, um, yeah, I, I really do, um, love those men and, and the people I was with in the ward there and, and do cherish those, those experiences. Around that same time is when I started to, um, I started to discover podcasts where people share their stories. Um, and you know, I, I remember, um, one of the first podcasts was, um, was somebody telling their, their story and, and they were, you know, kind of similar to me where they were, um, they were same sex attracted, but, but trying so hard to be obedient. Um, you know, this guy had also served as a, as a young men president and everything too. And, um, yeah. And, and it just helped me like, once I started to, to hear other people's stories, it helped me realize, okay, maybe it isn't like just me. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that I'm try not trying hard enough or, um, yeah, that, that I'm doing something wrong. Um, and so that, that's truly been, been helpful for me, um, is, is, um, being, being able to hear other people's stories. Um, 
and over the last year or two, being able to like have friends who who also are kind of in the same situation um, of of you know identifying as same sex attracted or gay, um, you know it it's it's been it's been really helpful and and really healing for me. Um, so uh, about four years ago. Um, I, I had decided to take a break from the temple and my expectation was, okay, I'll take a break. I'll, you know, after a few months, I'll realize like how much I'm missing in my, it in my life and, and, you know, have more of a desire to return. Um, but then it didn't happen. You know, I, I, um, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like, like I was missing something. Um, I felt much better with my mental health and, um, yeah, that was, um, this was a little before COVID happened. And so, um, yeah, I, I had that and then, and then, um, COVID went around. So the temples were closed and, and everything. Um, since then I, I had gone back a couple of times, um, just to see if there would be anything different. Um, and even when, you know, even with like a temple open house, um, or, going to help clean the temple. Um, you know, I still have that anxiety and, and kind of negative feelings and stuff. And so, um, yeah. And I recognize that that's, you know, that's my experience. I, I do recognize that other people, um, you know, they do find a lot of peace and comfort in the, in the temples. Um, but that for whatever reason, it just wasn't, wasn't my experience. Now I, I had also thought, you know, question for a long time, like stepping away from the church and, um, you know, just kind of figuring out my beliefs and, and my faith. Um, it always seemed like, like the solution was just around the corner and that it was just about to, you know, to come if I just try a little harder or, um, or yeah, like give more effort, I guess. Um, and then it was also, it was also, um, hard for me to really step away because, um, especially when I was living outside of Utah, um, you're just needed in the ward, right? Like, um, and so you do have a lot, a lot more responsibilities and, and, um, you know, I felt a lot more pressure to, to kind of being there and everything. Um, I, so I was starting to realize though, um, that like my motto in life had been like work hard now and, and suffer now so that I can be happy later. And I was starting to, to realize like, that's probably not, not going to happen, you know, um, in, in Alma 41, um, it talks about, um, like restoration, um, things. So, um, so it says the word restoration, um, let's see, it is the meaning of the word restoration to take a, um, a thing of a natural state and place it in an unnatural state or to place it in a state opposite to its nature. Um, oh, my son, this is not the case, but the meaning of the word restoration is to bring back again, evil for evil or carnal for carnal or devilish for devilish good for that, which is good, righteous for that, which is righteous, just for that, which is just merciful for that, which is merciful. 
Um, and so I really just thought like, you know, how can I, how can I live a life where I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm, um, yeah, feeling like I'm just trying to be obedient. Um, and then, you know, magically once I die and in the next life, I'll just be able to all of a sudden feel happy and, and, um, you know, rest and, and receive the reward. Um, I, I wanted to focus more on like finding happiness now and, and finding peace in the moment and not just always, always putting it off towards some future date. So, um, in early 2021, we moved to Roy. Um, we, um, you know, we're in a new ward, um, and I attended regularly. Um, but as time went on, I, I just felt like I wasn't able to, to continue going. I, I didn't need that break. Um, and it was, um, President Nelson in the, um, I think it was October, 2021 general conference. He talked about, um, the Salt Lake temple and the foundation of the temple and how they were rebuilding it. And he talked about making sure that we have a solid foundation. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really, really felt like in order for me to like rebuild that foundation, I have to, um, I, I can't, I can't do that when I have a toxic relationship with God. And when I, um, you know, had that hatred towards myself, um, I, so I met with my Bishop, um, and, and kind of told him and he, he was very loving and supportive and probably reacted to it the best that any bishop could. Um, you know, he was, he was supportive. He, um, offered to give me and my wife blessings mm. as well and just showed us so much love. Um, shortly before then I had stopped wearing my garments, um, just because they kind of triggered the same negative emotions as well. Um, and, you know, he, he said that he would talk to the stake president and, and, um, you know, see if I could still, um, like keep my temple recommend and stuff, even though I wasn't wearing the garment and, um, yeah, he's just, just very loving and, and, you know, not trying to preach or push me one way. Um, and, you know, it's something I'd been dealing with for over a decade. And so, um, I feel like that was very, very generous of him to, to recognize that, you know, I've, I've tried everything that he could, he could, you know, prescribe or, or suggest. Um, and then he's, he's continued to include me in, in different, you know, service opportunities or things like that. Um, you know, he, um, like a few times he said, Hey, we, you know, would you feel comfortable like doing this or doing that? Um, and, um, you know, currently I, I actually serve as a ward choir pianist. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's, that's been really helpful to, to be able to still associate with, with some of the ward members, um, and still be blessed by beautiful music and everything. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for him for, for kind of taking that approach. So, yeah. Um, 
now there, you know, it has been kind of difficult with, with, um, stepping away from the church. Um, you know, overall I'm, I'm thankful that that's what I did. And, and I do believe that that's, um, you know, that's the path for me to be able to truly come closer to God and not just obey resentfully. Um, you know, it's, once you leave, it's like, okay, what do I believe? What values do I have? Um, you know, am I going to start drinking coffee or doing that, you know, other things? Um, I, I had looked, you know, just kind of researching other religions and churches and things and, and trying to see like, is there, is there any like single true church or doctrine that resonates more with me? Um, and I'm still, you know, still kind of working out that relationship with God. Um, but overall I have been able to find much more peace and less fear, um, much more love and less judgment. And then, um, just much more growth as well. Um, and so currently I'm, I'm not attending any church or anything, but, um, my wife and, and girls still attend and, and are active and I'm supportive of them. And like I said, I, I hold a calling as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that's been really helpful for me is, um, is mindfulness. Um, when I was still, um, when I was still active in the church, I, I had signed up and, and taken a, a mindfulness class and it was, it was like three hours every Saturday and then, um, about 45 to 60 minutes, um, of like homework and practice that you do throughout like every day of the week. So it was pretty intense. Um, but I was, um, like I was, I was able to get to a point where I had a lot of peace. I was able to, to find peace in the moment and, and, um, yeah, like I, um, so I, I do still try to incorporate that, um, into my life. Um, but that, that has been one way that, that I've been able to, to find more peace, um, with, um, with kind of my beliefs and, um, values and different things, I guess, developing over time or changing over time. Um, it's, it's easy to think about the past and be like, okay, what if, you know, what if I did this? What if I did the, that? Or, um, you know, I've, I found though that it's, it's not help, helpful. Um, you know, none of us are able to change the past and, and, um, what we re really have to do is, um, is decide, okay, what, what now, um, instead of what if, um, and so, Anna and I have, um, like we have looked at that and, and, um, you know, decided for ourselves, like, do we want to stay married? Do we want to separate? Like, because we wanted that to be a choice that we make and not, not feel like, okay, God wants me to be in this marriage with you. So I'm going to keep doing it, you know, um, because then there's resent, resentment and, and, um, yeah. It, it, when it's not our own choice. Um, and so, yeah, this time, I mean, we, um, we both feel good about, um, continuing our marriage and, um, raising our family and everything. 
Um, and again, once, once that's my choice and, and her choice, um, we, we can go forward with it without, um, you know, and we can take responsibility, I guess, for the outcomes and not blame someone else, including blaming God, um, because this is our decision. Um, it's, you know, I, I do believe that the only way that we can really have true happiness is, is being authentic to who we are. Um, and, um, you know, authenticity, um, is, is a word that, that some people maybe misuse or some people have strong, strong thoughts on what it means. Um, yeah. So for me, living authentically doesn't mean that I'm going to leave my wife, um, and pursue a relationship with a man. Um, for me, it means taking everything into account, recognizing where I'm at currently in life, um, and then choosing to make a decision based on integrity. And then after that, taking ownership of my choices and, and living with the consequences. Um, again, I used to, I used to, uh, make choices and obey commandments because it's, you know, what God wants me to do, what I thought he wanted me to do. Um, but then I would end up resenting him and, and didn't feel happy. Um, and it did take time to, to recognize that I need to take control of my own choices and, but also not rely on, um, rely solely on other people's expectations, including like societal or family expectations, as well as like church, you know, expectations. Um, I do think that, that having like traditions and, and, um, expectations is a good, good place to start. You know, at earlier developmental levels, we, we learn to trust our parents and leaders and obey what they say. Um, but as we grow and develop, we need to, we need to go past that. We need to, um, you know, and, and if those traditions and values are still what we believe, then absolutely, I think we should try to keep them. Um, but if our personal convictions move us beyond that, um, I think we should be true to our understanding and beliefs and not, not merely, um, trying to conform to expectations of other people. Um, and I do think, I do think that that can be done with, with God in our lives. And, um, yeah, like I know for other people, it's hard to recognize, like, it's hard to believe me, you know, when I'm saying like, I left the church because I felt like that's going to be bring me closer to God. And that's what God wants me to do and stuff. Um, and you know, we, we like to be able to understand things. We like to be able to explain things. And, and sometimes, you know, our, our experiences are just different from other people's. Um, you know, I, I know that it's easy to assume why people leave the church. Um, you know, often we think they're either, um, either offended or just, they want to go out and sin. Um, and so that can be, that can be a difficult thing to understand. As I've, um, I had read a, a book recently, um, that I, that brought a lot of insight to me. Um, and the author is McConkie and it's called, um, Mormon doctrine. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> navigating Mormon faith crisis by Thomas McConkie. Um, I've read that book. It's a yeah. good book. I guess I've read both those books. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, so 
Yeah, I mean, for for some people, maybe it's a little a little um, like academic or, or too much in the details, but um, it just helped help me understand. Um, you know, I used to think if if we have different, you know, if if two people aren't in agreement on something, um, if if both of us had all the facts, we would we would both come to the same conclusion. Um, but I realized like that's not the case, um, and and because like we're all just at a different place. We all, um, you know, development, uh, I guess we, we know that children, um, you know, undergo different stages of development. Um, and, and we don't really think about adults as still developing. And so I think it's helpful to, to recognize that, that people are at different places on their personal development and, and that's okay. And, and, um, you know, that's why we, we might come to different conclusions, um, about different things. Um, I, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about love as well. Um, um, I, I really, um, I really like Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Um, and is that because she has good content or lives in Chicago? Ah, <laughs> uh, kind of both. But. Okay, just checking. <laughs> no, I mean she's she's brilliant, and and um, I know a lot of her a lot of her teachings are are geared towards like heterosexual couples and everything. But um, I feel like a lot of the principles apply, and she talks about um, how if our ideologies are are getting in the way of loving people then then it's probably you know we probably should choose love over the ideologies um and um yeah so i think i think there's just so much um and and she talks about how there's there's just so so much more growth in love than than in just you know strictly obeying i guess what what other people are telling us um, and I also, um, there was a recent podcast, um, with, um, Adam Miller where he said, um, love is the law, not the reward. And I, I really like that too. Um, you know, it's, we're commanded to love and it's, it's not, um, it's not that we give love to other people as a reward for doing certain things or for being the way that we want them to be. I think the same is true um, when I, you know, in, in developing self-compassion as well. If, if I am giving myself love based on what I'm doing or how good I am, um, you know, I, I feel like I'll always fall short of like the ideal person that I want to be. And if, if, my, if my love and self-compassion is, is a reward for being an awesome person, you know, then I'm going to not have a lot of self-compassion. Um, and so I think it's important that we, that we do try to love, um, you know, even in our imperfections and, um, in our struggles. Um, and, um, I also just wanted to, to um, touch briefly about um, you know, ab about like why we're here on earth. 
um, I've heard it described as life being a test. Um, you know, we, we learn things in the pre-mortal life um, and we're here to be tempted and tried and see if we're going to um, stay true to those things. Um, and honestly, like sometimes, you know, sometimes that implies that, that we already should know everything and that our main purpose is, is being obedient. Um, and really, I think that becoming should be the goal, um, becoming something. Um, I, you know, I've thought a lot about like heaven and I, I think that in order to, um, in order to get to that place and, and to get to a place where we can continue to, to develop through the eternity eternities, um, I think we need to become and, and, um, I guess, I guess more so than just, um, just following certain rules or, or obeying certain principles. Um, and, um, there's the the song that we all know, I am a child of God. Um, and it was written by Naomi Randall, or at least the the words were. Um, and originally it was written, um, the last phrase was, teach me all that I must learn to be with him someday. Um, and then a couple decades later, um, I think it was uh, President Kimball um, asked permission to change it to teach me all that I must do to live with them someday. Um, and I just think even more important would be teach me all that I must be or become to be with them someday. Um, yeah, I, I'm happy with where I'm at in life right now. Um, I, I feel like I've been able to learn and, um, yeah, when I'm, you know, much of my life was spent trying to obey, but it was, it was done out of fear, out of fear of the consequences and everything. Um, and I like what I've been able to, to learn and the growth that I've had as I've, as I focus more on becoming more like God and, and, uh, becoming who, who God wants me to be as opposed to, um, as opposed to like reluctantly obeying certain principles and things. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> I'm just so moved by the things Dan's shared. Every one of these stories is so different and unique and helpful. And I, like every podcast, I write down a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> so I'll share some of that stuff and I want to keep Dan talking. Um, I wrote down all these conclusions in your mind that you made about God. <laughs> um, and it makes sense. This is how you'd feel about God because this is how we talked about people and still do that are sexual minorities. Um, God's not pleased with me. Um, can't read my own writing listeners. Um, couldn't measure up to God. God's mad at me, never felt accepted at God. And this one just kind of stung, if I can read it. If I hate who I am, how can God love who I am? Mm -hmm. What a powerful but sobering comment. And I started to think of 
what if in general conference and in wards and stakes, we said, God is pleased with queer Latter-day Saints. Queer Latter-day Saints can measure up to God. God is not mad at queer letter saints. Queer letter saints should feel completely acceptable to God. Um, and it's just no one should hate how they feel. And so your relationship with God is complicated because of how you feel. And you've articulated that about as well as any guest on the podcast. And the work you've done to kind of work through that and do everything you can to sort of come at peace with God helps others that are trying to um, accomplish the same things. I don't think this was learned. I mean, I think this was learned. I think um, obviously because of the things that were said about people like you and, and how you felt about just feelings. So that's one big comment. <laughs> um, the second one is just tremendous respect um, for getting on with your life in a really demanding career navigating your sexuality. And that could have just, I don't know how you did that. Um, you know, you've got to get into med school. That takes a big number on a test that I don't know what the number is anymore. <laughs> um, but then it takes getting into residency. It takes finding a job. You're getting married during this time. You're, um, I assume, going into debt. You're the young men's president. You're navigating your sexuality. Um, you have these feelings about how God feels about you. And I don't know, you know, but just with every way I can communicate this, Dan, is just respect for what you've accomplished in your life um, and where you are now and how this helps others tremendously to hear your story. Thank you so much. I love how you, the integrity you're doing everything you can to be a stand-up guy, managing your sexual orientation, including being open with girlfriends. Mm. I'm a couple, it sounds like, at BYU, that that didn't work out. But being completely open with Anna, um, your wife. Um, and then the, probably the really honest, vulnerable, helpful communications that you had about every subject because you were willing to be vulnerable. And this is a beautiful love story. And I um, and then to bring kids into your home. I love you being honest that your attractions to men didn't go away on your mission. It's probably good, <laughs> even though we have a lot of stories to your point, that it just kind of lifts and you're so focused that it's probably good for some to hear that, yeah, once in a while, you know, those attractions are still there. And that probably helps manage expectations for others going on missions that aren't straight. Um, let's look at some other notes. I the, the guest before you, I don't know if his podcast will be released before you. He talked about um, he's gay and why he came on the podcast. He's married to a woman. He says, part of this is for my kids. I want to role model to my kids what Zion's like about diversity and belonging and the need for all of us to feel welcome. And I thought about, you've got two daughters, don't you? Yeah. I thought about your daughters in their 20s and 30s and what they would say if they came on the podcast at that point, <laughs> I'd be, that's a long ways away, so we won't be doing podcasts by then. And the blessings of having a gay dad mm. and how that's blessed their lives and has taught them things about compassion, empathy, kindness, inclusion, and help, help them feel like they belong as we're all needing to feel like what they belong. So I think you being out is a good thing for your kids. Thank you. And, and helps them in their life in a positive way 
even though maybe my natural gut reaction 10 years ago, well, that complicates your kids' lives mm-hmm. to be out. And I could feel completely different about that now as being vulnerable and authentic and real um, helps our kids do the same. And so that they can reach out for whatever road they're walking on. If you're still if doing any co- comments on that, just going to say, if you're still doing the podcast in 20 years, <laughs> I, I'm sure they'd be happy to, to be on, but um, yeah, we, you know, we try to teach our kids that we love everyone, um, that everyone's welcome in our house. Um, and yeah, we, we actually did come out to them recently. Um, you know, we wanted them to hear it from us first and not from other people. Um, you know, my four-year-old, she's still pretty young and, and she'll probably need to listen to the podcast later when she's (laughs) older. But, um, my six-year-old, you know, she, she's handled it very well and, you know, just asked really, really good questions. And to her, you know, she's just kind of, kind of like what people, people don't think boys can marry boys and girls can marry girls. And, you know, it's just, she doesn't comprehend like why people would be opposed to that. And, um, yeah, like I've, um, I, I think, you know, they're awesome kids and, and, um, I, I do hope that they can, you know, I, I do think that this will, will bless them in their lives. It will help them be more compassionate to others and, um, yeah, I guess see others more closely to how God sees them. Yeah. I, I think that's something your generation is doing better at just talking about real subjects and creating a family culture that your daughter, I think age appropriate conversations are fine. So I think what you talk with your daughters is fine. And I think most, maybe most importantly, you have this, you have responsibility to do that the way is right for you and you and your wife talking about that. But I think creating a family culture where we're talking about real stuff and mom and dad can talk about real stuff. So your kids, as they age up, can, I would just guess your kids will say, I can talk to mom and dad about the realities of my life. My guess is you'll have two straight daughters, just mathematically. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think talking to your daughters about dads being gay causes them to experiment and a straight person becoming gay. I hope nobody listening thinks that because maybe I would have thought that. So maybe that's why I bring it up. I just think it allows the culture of your family to be really healthy, respectful um, environment where your kids can talk about the realities of their life. And you have enough tools to talk about real stuff (laughs) because you've been walking this road for a long time. Um, That's, I also was fascinated with, I'm not a therapist, and if I wanted to go back in life, I might become a therapist and just understand this space. But you talked about an insecure attachment style with God and how important it is for kids to have a really, a very consistent attachment style. And maybe this relationship you've had with God, which isn't your fault, I think it's culturally driven because of how you feel about yourself, is caused a complicated relationship with God where from a clinical standpoint, it's this insecure attachment style where it's sometimes really helpful, but sometimes not. And then you used to look inward and say, this is my fault. And the temple then somehow gets caught up in that in a, in a way that I thought you articulated really well. But just 
it caused me, I'll be thinking about what you said on my morning walk in the morning um, and how we maybe as Latter-day Saints need to help people frame up a relationship with God that's not transactional, that's not earned. Some of the things you're inviting us to do, Dan, so that we can all have a secure attachment style with God and just realize our heavenly parents are there. It's not conditional. Our doctrine supports that, listeners. We're divine. We are spirit children of heavenly parents. And I think our doctrine supports that they just love us and that we're created as intended. No one should look in the mirror and feel how they feel is a mistake or the feelings they feel on their mission um, are unpleasing to God. It's just how we're created. Um, straight or LGBTQ. Any more thoughts on that or anything you're not just, I don't know if you've got any more thoughts yeah. or anything I said that isn't quite what you wanted said. <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely agree with, with what you've been saying as well. Um, and I, I do think it is important that we, that we all develop a relationship with God and I guess giving grace to other people if, if the way that they connect to God is different than, than what's worked for us. You know, um, I feel like it's, you know, it's easy to say this is what's worked for me. And so I know that it's going to work for you. And, um, yeah, it, it really takes being humble and, um, like I said, giving that grace to recognize that, that somebody's path might be different. A question that came in my mind really early, um, you know, you talked in high school, I think before your mission about mental illness and depression and also being an overachiever. Is there a way to look back and think what percent of that was tied into your sexuality? Mm. Good question. That's um, my analytical brain that wants a yeah. number. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, let's see. I think it was probably probably a large part of it. Um, because yeah, I mean, in most other ways I felt confident. I felt like I was capable and, and doing well. Um, and I feel like that was probably the, the majority of it. Uh, Talk about epigenetics, if I'm pronouncing it that yeah. right. We haven't talked about that on the podcast for a long time. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Bill Bradshaw, and I remember learning about that, perhaps from something he um, wrote. And it was very helpful to me to understand this isn't a choice. And I've always felt science is our friend in helping better understand trans people, better understand people that aren't straight. Take a moment if you want, and you're a medical doc. I know this isn't your pure expertise, but yeah, anything you'd like to share with listeners, I can't, and you could even say it correctly because I don't think I did. <laughs> um, I say epigenetics. Okay, I like yeah. that. Um, so yeah, genetics would refer to the genes or like DNA um, that we all have inside our cells. And then, um, you know, if you have, if you have an I identical twins, they, they have the same genetic material, right? Um, but there's, there's things that can happen to our DNA, um, you know, just, just things that affect kind of how the different genes are expressed. Um, and and does that happen in the womb or can that even happen after the womb? Yeah, it can happen after as well. Um, and so, um, yeah, you can have, um, 
you know, when, when those cells reproduce, they kind of keep those, those factors with it. Um, but it's not part of the like DNA itself. Um, it's kind of extra things on the outside of the DNA that helps your body know, um, I guess what genes to express more of and, and some that will be less expressed. Um, and so in, in a lot of those studies, you know, they can take a look at, at twins and say, you know, if, if one twin identifies as gay, for example, um, like what's, what's the chance of the other one and, and kind of see, okay, you know, how much of this is actually genetics. Um, they can also take twins who were, you know, they have the exact same genetic material, but are raised by different families. Um, and, and also kind of look into the same thing and that helps, helps you estimate, okay, it's, you know, this, this much genetic, this much, um, environmental or other factors that might be contributing to it. So, and it sounds like when you heard that it was very helpful to you just personally, because you recognized how your feeling was based. It was science behind it or understanding versus it's a choice. And I think that's really obviously something's changed significantly in church teachings is this isn't a choice and you can't unchoose it. Mm-hmm. And that shifts the responsibility away from you to sort of become straight and to the rest of us as Latter-day Saints to create belonging and positive messages and, and love and support in Zion. So I'm glad you talked about, I love, I love glad you talked about that. I'm just crossing off things, listeners. Mm-hmm that I wrote down during Dan's podcast. And I just want to cross that one up too. I love, here's you being the man of integrity and you may not always feel like you're the man of integrity. Um, but I, I recognize you've been pretty stand up about who you are. And, and now with your decision to separate yourself from the church, you told your Bishop mm-hmm. and you've navigated that with your Bishop. And even to the point where there's still a relationship there and you know, there's so much divisiveness in the world. This, this sometimes it's even accentuated from people who are in the church and people that have left. That's one of the reasons we have people on the podcast that aren't participating in the church is to hopefully role model how to continue to love people as they walk different roads. And you're extending grace back to the church and back to your ward family. And you've been very kind to the church and to your ward people at times serving as a ward clerk and um, and to this bishop that you still have a relationship with, I sense. And yeah. he recognizes this principle that I talk about is we're called to be gatherers, not sifters. And there is no belief or behavior hurdle to welcome in a congregation. And not every calling requires a temple recommend, including the one you have. So mm-hmm. it's not like your bishop went rogue. Um, he's just doing what he can do. And your benefits in that area as a, as a musician are blessing your ward. And so I, I love those kind of stories. Um, it takes grace on both parts of you. Um, listeners, we have a new book coming out. I've started to mention a little bit. It's out in September. It's called In Building the Good Ship Zion. And there's a couple chapters that are kind of in the same vein as Dan's podcast. Chapter three is written by an LDS therapist, Tanya Miller, about ministering to those with church-generated pain or trauma. And she talks about capital T trauma. And lower T trauma, the drip, 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 drip. And I would guess that's part of your journey is just the church at times has been a source of pain or trauma. And maybe that then from a, 
I'm not a therapist. <laughs> I don't, I've wondered if that's part of your, it's complicated your relationship with the temple and with God is because it triggers you at times and your natural flight or fight or flight or your natural just preserving yourself because it's been at times a source of pain, the relationship with God and the church and things that are said. So I don't know if that's true. Um, you may have some thoughts on that. The other chapter we have, chapter four, is how should we treat those that leave the church? And it's sort of this idea that, you know, we could we can do a better job on both sides to heal divides and honor differences. So, you know, you can check out that book in September, listeners. Any thoughts on any of that on the trauma subject um, that you want to address or anything else you want to talk about, Dan? Yeah, I, you know, I do think that that you have the right idea there with kind of the micro traumas and everything. Um, you know, our brains are meant to be very efficient. And so once we develop a pattern, um, it, it's just kind of automatic that our, our body and our brain react a certain way. And I do think that that's, uh, you know, kind of that reaction that I get with, with a temple, I, I think is probably related to that. Um, and yeah, like those, those patterns and things can be, can be really helpful in some situations and, and not so helpful in others. But. So, yeah, I don't know listeners, but I'm just open. I'm curious how I would have responded to your question about, cause I go to the temple, I'm a temple worker and that's a good experience for me about your question. I don't feel the spirit in the temple. And I wonder how I would respond to that without knowing any of your story. and. I hope I would, you know, now hearing some of your story, I, I might not go to my spiritual toolkit and say, well, Dan, it's all on you. Like you've tried mm -hmm. to do your whole life to read, pray, be a little more obedient. And then the temple worked for you and maybe turn to sort of, there's the author of this chapter that I referenced talks about the torture of World War II, where they just, people would just drip, drip, drip. They'd actually be held under dripping water mm. and how that just the individual drips were not a problem. It's the longevity of that and the infrequency, because sometimes they change the frequency up so it wouldn't be predictable. And how that is trauma and how that may be part of your story um, as a gay Latter day Saint and just navigating your sexual orientation. And that's why I hope listeners, these podcasts help if you're queer to, you know, own that about yourself in a really helpful way in a positive way, as Dan suggested, and you can take some of Dan's story. Uh, what would you say to your high school self in Chicago? Yeah. That's like not quite 20 years ago, but pretty close. Yeah. You've kind of done that in the podcast, but talk to your high school self. Yeah. So I know you asked that question a lot. <laughs> and so I've, I've been thinking about it. And um, I think a lot of the things that I would like to say, um, might not be understandable to, you know, the very black and white thinker that Danny was back then, right? Um, what I think I would do is um, talk about how um, how I do have worth, and also talking about how um, when you feel sad, when you feel different, like difficult emotions that that's not a sign of God's disapproval of you. Um, 
you know, we talk about peace and joy as being, um, as coming from God. And so it's natural to think, okay, well, you know, these kind of the negative emotions must be coming from him as well. Um, and, and just recognizing like, um, I guess it, it's good to reach out for help. Um, and having depression isn't a sign of spiritual weakness. Um, it's nothing that needs to be repented over or, um, like even only approaching it from, from like the, the gospel, like, you know, you need to read your scriptures more, pray more, do things, you know, there's, um, there's more to it than that. And, um, yeah, like, like I, I do wish I would have gotten help back then. And, um, you know, even, even now I, I struggle like with my relationship with God. (coughs) Um, and I, I do believe like if, if I had gotten help back then, I, I would be at a much better spot now. Anything else you'd like to share Dan with our listeners? No, I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Newman, Dan Newman, thank you um, for your courage to reach out and do this podcast on behalf of all of our listeners that are deeply moved um, by the things you said and the unique insights and the, and the way you've helped others. Thank you. And this is Dan Newman and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.